In the last 10 years, our field has gone from an unknown specialty to a household name. This brings unprecedented opportunities, but we need to rise up to meet them and give our patients the care that they deserve. In order to help others get better, we need to be better. This podcast will help you to become more confident with your patients, more successful in your practice or business, and a leader in pelvic health. And we're gonna have some fun along the way. Join us as we rise together. We're Jesse and Nicole Cozine, founders of Pelvic Sanity Physical Therapy and the creators of the Pelvic PT Huddle. And this is Pelvic PT Rising. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Pelvic PT Rising podcast with Jesse and Nicole Cozine. Hey, Nicole. Hello, hello. All right. So today we wanted to go through a little bit more about communicating better with patients. And this was a topic that I never really thought of as really important until we were actually putting together Nicole's Pelvic PT Essentials course. And it got an entire module in that course. And I was a little surprised because we're diving into all this deep stuff on initial evaluation and setting people up on the right plan of care, how to progress that, what phase of treatment they're in. And then we get to this module on communication. And then in her introduction to it, you said that it was actually probably the most important module of the whole course. Yeah, totally. I think, you know, we can all remember, Jesse, can you remember when you were in PT school? I must have missed that day. (laughs) Yeah, must have missed that day. But, you know, in, in PT school, I think that when we were going, everyone, same thing, right? was like super stoked on the musculoskeletal. And if you're a neuro person, you're in neuro and we want to work with patients and we want to learn the evaluation and then like just get to the treatment techniques and exercise prescription and all that stuff. But none of that matters if you can't actually talk to your patient and meet them where they are. It kind of in the same way when we were in PT school where it was like, I used to scoff at the behavior change mod class and ethics, right? And honestly, some of the biggest decisions we've made as, as business owners and clinic owners, some of the most difficult stuff that we've been through has been based on PT ethics. And then for patient side, it's been on behavior change and how to actually implement change in your patient and get them to buy into their treatment plan. And so I really feel like especially with hindsight in my favor, having been a physical therapist now for 14 years, gosh, communication really is where it's at. Well, and really in terms of how often you're doing something, even just in terms of a skill, right? I mean, that's something that you're having to do eight hours a day, every day, that's 40 hours a week. And if you can just make a few small tweaks to be better at that, across the board, that's just going to have huge repercussions down the line for, you know, every patient interaction that you have. So. Yeah, totally. And it, you know, the thing is, is that it's about what you actually say to people and it's also what you don't say to them and it's how you say it to them. And it can be something as simple as your tone of voice, your inflection, you noticing something that they said, you actually have to like, everyone always talks about the the best way to communicate with somebody is to actually listen. And I think that we as PTs, we think we're good at that. And it's one thing to listen. And it's another thing to implement what people say and apply it into what they need to hear from you in a way that they're going to be receptive of it. So that's where I really feel like we really need to make sure we're doing that every single 
second of our treatment. And so we're going to dive into three concrete tips a little bit later in the episode. But one of the things that you said during a training that you were doing for our staff that I thought was really interesting, and I had never thought of it this way, but you just told them this interaction with your patient is not a social setting. Like the same rules don't apply as they would if you met somebody at a party or out at happy hour. Like you have a different responsibility. You're in a different role. You need to throw us away some of those like social constructs that that might serve you in the real world, but not when you're in with a patient in a, in a clinic. Yeah. So I always tell my people, know your role and be willing to take on that role in whatever case there may be. And we're in the healthcare professional role all the time with our patients and we can get be friendly, we can like our patients, we can we can want to hang out with them, but the same just like Jesse said, the same social constructs do not apply. And so where we really see this stuff is is in the follow-up question, right? So if you're in a regular social situation and you're hanging out with your buddy, and they say something that's pretty personal or, and you know, you might choose to kind of be like, huh, so be a little bit more superficial and be like, wow, man, that sucks. And that must be really hard, but then not ask a follow-up of like, how does that make you feel? And why is that challenging for you? And so, man, it really, it just remember you guys, you are not their friend, you are their healthcare provider and you need to know and be take ownership in your role as getting the big, huge picture to every single little thing or big thing that can be contributing to why they're in your office. And a lot of times it's stuff that they don't tell you at the very beginning and it's your job with your communication skills and with your listening skills to sort of deconstruct that and get that out of them. So that is tip number one, it's ask the next question. And so when you talk about that as the next question, can you give us just a, like a concrete example of what that means and, and how you would do and go about that? Yeah. So basically I do this literally every single minute of every single conversation, but I'll give you one example of something that was pretty profound. You'd be surprised at how much a follow-up question will lead to something pretty darn profound. And so there's this patient I was treating we always ask about stress, right? Oh, or, you know, we talk about the nervous system upregulation and are you stressed about something? And, oh, it must be stressful to have your kids. It must be stressful with your relationship and it must be, your work must be stressful, but that can't end there. That conversation and that communication cannot end there. That's where it would end maybe for a social interaction, but here, we know that nervous system upregulation and stress management is one of the foundations for good pelvic health. And so it's our job to get that out of people. So one of my patients was talking about, you know, how she was super stressed and, and all this stuff. And I was just like, I, I just asked one other follow-up question, question. Oh, what are you stressed about? And then she proceeded to tell me that she was really stressed about her work and that she had had to recently stay home. And I was like, why did you have to stay home? And why was that so stressful? And she proceeded to tell me that she finally was able to take some time off work because her sister had just passed away about six months ago. And she 
this whole huge story about a stressor that had been present for about two years and it got really bad about six months ago. And not shockingly, her symptoms started about three months ago from that. And so, you know, I just feel like that's something that was not on her intake forms. That's not something that she said to me any other time when we were talking. She actually said that it was super stressful for her to be home from work and all this other stuff, but she had no mention of one of the biggest stressful things in your life that you could go through and losing a family member. And so one of the big things about being able to ask that follow-up question is also that they get to tell you in their own words that that big stressor happened. And so in that way, you're helping them to change their brain's response and understand that that might be a thing that is contributing to their symptoms. And I'm sure some of our listeners are having the same thought because this this is the first thing that comes to me, not being experienced with that. But do you ever get any pushback from patients where you know you ask that one more probing question and they clam up or they, you know, visibly shut down. They say, you know, I actually don't want to talk about that. Is that ever something you worry about? Because I feel like that would be the fear that I would have in asking that one extra question. Yeah. I mean, pretty much the answer is no. I've never had a, I've had a person clam up before or be really adamant that that can't possibly be what the issue is. And then it's like, okay, you just sort of catalog that in the front of your mind is like, actually, I definitely think that's what the issue is. I had another patient, another patient comes to mind where she had said that she was, you know, having a hard time with stress again and this, that, and the other. And we, you know, we were talking about stuff and, and it, by me asking more questions and more questions and more questions, why was she having a hard time with her husband and why has this happened before? And she said, no. And then she said, actually, yes, it did happen before, right after our son passed away, right? Oh, like that can be something that even though you've been through all kinds of therapy and everything, that yeah, yeah, it's a thing. And, you know, sometimes that knee jerk reaction of like, right, but I don't need to worry about that. Like I've already been through that with my psychologist and everything else, but, but you're still having pain and you're, and we're still seeing that that can be a nervous system upregulation issue in this time. And so that's like an area where we can surely log that and then bring it up at a more appropriate time. If, especially if you're getting someone to clam up. So tip number one is ask that next question. And I think your answer there, Nicole kind of leads us into what you had in here for tip number two, which is it's not about you. And I think that kind of resonates with what you were just talking about, about, you know, you might not want to ask that question because you're afraid or you don't want it to make it awkward. But at the end of the day, it's not about you. Yeah. Or you're uncomfortable. It's like you need to check yourself because we cannot be the limiting factor to uncovering things about our patients' symptom presentation. We cannot be the limiting factor to uncovering that. So if you're feeling uncomfortable at asking a follow-up question, then we need to ask ourselves, look a little bit back in the mirror and be like, well, why does that make us uncomfortable? Is there something that's so similar to this patient in you or in your story that might be making you feel a little bit apprehensive about diving into that? Because you know it brings up stuff for you. There's always a reason why we shouldn't ask the question, but we have to be able to to know that it's not about us and we need to put places that we might be uncomfortable aside 
and for the betterment of the patient. And the other place I always see that coming back up in the training and stuff we do around the clinic, the it's not about you, is being able to meet patients where they are, right? Because it's obviously even externally from, you know, the admin desk side has to be very different working with a young, healthy postnatal mom who just wants to get back to running versus, you know, the pedental neuralgia, the IC patient who's coming in almost in tears at the front desk. And I can't even imagine what that's like in the room and being able to kind of move back and forth through your day with those two, you know, very different types of patients coming in. Yeah. So, I mean, it's super hard and I think it gets better with experience, but there's very like regimented ways that, that we can deal with that, right? We can look at our, our schedule before we can anticipate stuff so that we can, can reset ourselves so that we are consistent with that patient. And so, you know, we talked about in a previous podcast about like having that, that ritual for me, it's washing my hands. It's, it's being sort of focused about who I'm seeing next. And so you can leave one patient session and then move seamlessly into the next without taking any of the emotional component of what we're dealing with in our previous session into our next session. It's really important, not only for our well-being and our own sanity, but for our patients. Our patients will pick up on that, on that energy shift. And so we need to make sure either from being you know, down and sad in a really intense situation and moving up into like the, okay, let's get back to running and do CrossFit or the opposite where you're super stoked. You were just laughing, having a great time joking around and then boom, have to like switch into being a little bit more somber and, you know, calm, cool, collected kind of a a feel. I feel like one of the questions you might get is, is, is that inauthentic or disingenuous to almost be a different person with each therapist, because I've seen you interact with different patients and I feel like they almost wouldn't recognize you if they saw you interacting with another person who is in a very different life stage. Is that, how do you balance that trying to be authentic and and honest and, and open against being the person that your patient needs that day? Mm, That is an excellent uh, question. I didn't know you were going to ask me that. (laughs) First of all, though, it's our freaking job to do that. It's our freaking job to assess our patient and meet them where they are. And it doesn't necessarily mean that because I have one demeanor or something about my personality is coming out in one session Another part of my personality can come out in another session and that doesn't make me feel inauthentic. That just means that I am changing to meet the needs of my patient. So I'm not being someone else. I'm being myself in different situations that are appropriate, that is going to help that patient that day in that phase of treatment with what our goals are for them. So it's all about them. It's never about me. All right. So tip number one was always ask the next question. Tip number two is it's not about you. Tip number three is be direct. Now, what do you mean by this? I mean, kind of along the lines that we were just talking about, like this is not a social interaction. There's no like finessing something. It's just like, ask them questions. And if you see a discrepancy in the way that they're acting versus the way that they are telling you they are like point that out 
a good example of this is like somebody that is saying that like, oh, I'm super calm, cool, collected. I'm, I'm not stressed at all. Like I've got it all handled yet. They're racing into your your treatment session, they're five to 10 minutes late every time. They can't find something. They didn't bring their forms. Like those things are disconnected. And so you might want to say something like, Hey, so-and-so, like, I know you say that you're super chill, but man, when you come in here, you come in here like a freaking whirlwind. What's up with that? It can be as conversational as that, but what you're really getting down to is that what's right, right? Do they not have an accurate representation of themselves? And then if so, then what else does that mean from what they've told you? We have to simultaneously 100% believe our patients with every ounce of our being, and then also 100% think that they're lying to us every step of the way. Like we have to be able to hold both of those feelings at the exact same time to be able to get to what we want out of them. And that is trust. And that is self-awareness that can only come from themselves. And so when you talk about being direct, because I've heard you talk about this with our staff a lot, how do you do that when it might be something difficult? Like, again, maybe somebody's not being compliant with their home exercise program, right? They come in for the third week in a row and they said, you know, hey, I'm sorry, I just didn't have time to get to my stretching. Right. So first of all, I hate the word patients are not compliant with their home exercise program because that sort of puts the onus on them. And really, if they're not quote unquote compliant with their home exercise program, that's on us because it's either that you didn't communicate well on why it's important or we haven't explained enough or they don't understand, or they haven't found the time yet, or or put that as a priority because we haven't made it one for them. And so that's one of the first things I'll say about that. So how do they actually say that? It's that I usually use the sort of framework is just being super honest and observing something. So usually I'll start with a sentence and then I'll ask a question. So in this case, it's like, hey, Jane, You know, I've noticed that this is the third time now where you've said that you haven't had time to do your exercises. What is happening with your time situation? When are you trying to implement those exercises? What time of day, right? Because what does that get them doing? That gets them talking about, then you can start to say like, you know, are you lying to me? Like what happens? You can tell really quickly if someone's like, well, I always try to do it in the morning and then my kids are in school and, 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 and. And so that you can then say, okay, well, what does your evening look like? What do you typically do in the evening? Or what do you do for work? Or then you start, it, it opens up the conversation for you to ask more questions and problem solve with them by asking them questions. So they're essentially problem solving for you with your guidance. And that's what, you know, I mean by be direct. It means you start with, and I've noticed this. And then you can ask a follow-up and it can be as simple as what's up with that? Like, what do you think that that means? And you'd be surprised at what people will end up saying to you. There has been nobody that has ever been like, I don't appreciate you asking me about my well-being, right? It's just like, they just answer the question. So we've just got to ask it. 
And we just got to figure out ways that, that makes that easy for us. And I mean, now, I mean, I rarely say statements other than I've noticed that this, right. I'm constantly asking questions with questions. Interesting. So for a, I know we have a lot of younger physical therapists who are listening to us. Just in general, is there an idea you've talked so much about listening and asking questions? Like what percentage of the time in a treatment are you actually talking and how much of that are you listening? Or does it just vary so much from patient to patient? Totally varies. Totally varies on their phase of treatment. And frankly, like our relationship and their their interest in in what I have to say. I don't know. I think of somebody that like totally is interested and totally nerding out on anatomy and like I've deemed that necessary for them to sort of buy in. Then I'll talk a little bit more about why I'm doing what I'm doing it for. Even something as nerdy as like the origin insertion of a muscle and like how that we share that with you know, how the, you know, short adductors are really closely related to the superficial pelvic floor muscles. And I show them on the model and I can get to the point where I'm talking a lot, but that's only because I have deemed that that person needs that and will respond well to that for me to get something else out of them or me to get them to do something. Most of the time I'm talking like, barely any. In fact, sometimes I play a game with myself to be like, how little can I actually talk and still get a ton of information? And you'll find that just asking questions all the time, being genuinely curious will actually make that super easy. You'd be surprised at how much they need to get off of their chest in your session. Cool. All right. So everybody, just as a little bit of a recap, we have our three tips for communicating better with your patients. The first one is ask the next question and don't let your own hangups or your own sense of awkwardness get in the way of that. And you should seriously be so sick of yourself by asking, why is that? And you should seriously be so sick of asking questions at the end of your day that you want to, I don't know, do something but like a Have toddler, a right? Right. This is like, yeah, a, like the why? two-year-old. Why? Why? Huh? why is that? Huh? Why is that? Every time you should be sick of yourself. So ask the next question. It's not about you and be direct with your patients. And I, I love that. I think it's really easy to implement if you have the observation plus a simple question on top of that. I've noticed blank. What's up with that? That seems like it could work in just about any Basically situation. Basically like any situation. And, and the what's up with that can be... Whatever your personality is, I'm pretty, I'm pretty direct. And I just want to be like, what's up with that? Like, what is going on? And so just take the what's up with that as, and make it yours, make it within your personality. So it, it is genuine, however you are. Awesome. Okay, cool. Well, we really hope you guys enjoyed this episode on communication with patients. As always, if you can like, subscribe, share, rate our podcast, if you can. And yeah, we will be back next week. Feel free to write us, DM us with anything that you guys want to hear covered. We are happy to go over it and would love to hear back from you. So yeah, thanks so much for tuning in. We appreciate it. Thanks, you guys.